I felt like church. Uh, um, a, a couple of um, things. Uh, last weekend there was a question um, about, can you tell me more about increasing imagination? What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, you ladies, I don't know where Deneen went, but you ladies, there she is. You help me. Um, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should make a little thing that just straps this. So my, my hands free, a little belt. You ladies helped expand um, my imagination for... You, you just didn't care. You're just up here solely focusing on your Jesus. And like, I want that, but I am too worried about what you all think of me. <laughs> but God is increasing my imagination. Because I saw that, and I was like, that's beautiful. That's what I want. I will never dance like that. I'm, I'm, I'm Asian. I got nothing. I got no rhythm. I got nothing. <sighs> okay, so much crying. So much crying. Okay. How, at what point do the fluids stop coming out of your body? <laughs> I, I don't understand it. It's just the snot, the tears. Okay. Um, so thank you for that. That's expanding imagination. And then the other thing, you know, how does um, letting, like this, the book, the little You Are Special book, how does going to our maker and letting him remind us how much he cares does that do? Like, how does that translate into me, um, my marriage looking better? How does that translate into me not caring so much about what people think about me? How does that translate into all of the real areas of our lives? And one of the things I talk about in all of my books is um, when we do that, God in his love allows our, <clears throat> he allows Romans 12 the renewing of our mind to take place. And what science shows us, which the Bible has told us for a very long time, is that um, when we do something, when we habitually think, oh, there you go again. Oh, you're never gonna get better. Oh, um, you know what? You know what? The Lord is really probably not super happy with you because you're a mess. Oh, you swore again. All that. So all that, all that thinking, all those lies that we believe, all those accusations that we go to, they make physical tracks in our brain. That's what science tells us. Um, but, but there is a way to renew our mind, and that's to be in the Word of God. That's to hear Him say, "Punchinella, wait, you know my name." To, to hear your, to hear the Lord, and to know the Lord knows your name, that He sees you. And what happens is we get to what science tells us is that when we do that, when we start to think in ways that line up with scripture and who God says we are, we're able to renew our mind. We're able to make a new physical track in our brain. Isn't that amazing? When we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, we're making new tracks. 
But those old tracks don't disappear. Our go-to is, oh, okay, wait, over here. I'm not good enough. I'm this, I'm that. I'm angry. I'm, right, fill in the blank. And so those tracks don't disappear, but what we get to do is every time we go back to his word and every time we... um, Every time we remember, wait, who does God say I am? Every time we go down the right side of the triangle, we're making that new track deeper and deeper and deeper and easier to go down. Um, I have a, just a, we, one of our foreign exchange students from China, um, he was from the southern part of China, so he had never experienced um, real snow, like good old-fashioned Wisconsin snow. And so our first snowstorm, he was like, Mom, will you take me to the sled hill? And I'm like, no, go find one of your... American brothers or sisters that lives in this house and have them take you. Well, of course, they were all busy and gone, so mom got to take him to the sled hill. So we went to the sledding hill, and he, he wiped out on the big hill, so we went to the bunny hill, and there were all these little tracks that the children had made for, for Joe, and, but, it, but he didn't know snow. He didn't know sledding, and so instead of going down one of the existing tracks, he went to where the snow was eight feet deep, and he, he's a, he was a high school wrestler. He was a little bit bigger boy. And so he puts his sled down and he, he gets on it and he just... <laughs> and the snow just piles in around him. And he, but he didn't care because he was there to have fun. He was there to sled in American snow. And so you know how you do? You just take your arms and you start pushing yourself down the thing. <laughs> And the snow, he had glasses. His glasses got all fogged up. The snow was going down his, you know, his jacket. His, his wrists were like bright red, but he was undeterred. He just kept going. And he got to the bottom of the baby hill and he looked at me and he ran back up to the top of the hill where he had made that track and he went back down it. And the, the next time he went, it went a little faster and it was a little easier. It was a little more fun. He got a little less snow in his jacket. And every time he went down, it got deeper and deeper. And that's what we get to do when we step into God's word every day and we meet with him and we enjoy him. We get to make that track deeper. And although those old tracks don't go away, we visit them less often. We go down them less often. And we start to make a new track that's deeper and that is in line with the truth of who God says we are. And again, identity matters. When we, when we know what God's love is, and we know what it does, remember what it does. It gives us peace, power, and puts us in a position to love people. But, you know, sometimes this sounds a little like, oh, it's all about me, it's all about me. It kind of has to be all about you until you get Jesus, the depth of his love for you. It's gonna be hard to love people authentically. It's gonna be hard to find peace. It's gonna be hard to experience his power. Um... So, yeah, that's that. Um, I wanted to give this to, I hope she's here, but there was a young woman that I met yesterday in the bathroom from Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, there she is. Oh, yeah. Um, we, didn't, um, we didn't get to connect much, but um, I just wanted you to know that I saw you, and I'm glad you're here. So let's clap for her. So last weekend, um, I had a woman um, come up to me at the back table after this session, and she was just sobbing. I mean, just sobbing. And we had talked on Saturday, and you know, when we when we parted ways on Saturday, she was doing pretty good. She was not doing so good on Sunday, and I go, "What's up, sweetheart?" And she goes, 
I have to go home today. And she was just sobbing. She had to go back to her really difficult home situation. And so, you know, like the estrogen festival is coming to a close. <laughs> Our little utopia here, <laughs> we have to leave. I mean, we can probably try to stay, but I think they'll kick us out. And some of us are going home uh, joyfully, and some of us are going home um, just really tired, and some of us don't want to go home because we're going back to some really tough stuff. And so how do we live deeper? How do we take all of this joy, all of this, um, what the Lord has shown us this weekend, and how do we take it back to our actual life, right? Like Luther talked about, how do we... How do we stay in this place? How do we continue to have his peace power and, and be in a position to love others when, when life's, you know, it's life? <laughs> so that's what we're going to look at today in Esther. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Esther 4. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of background um, from Esther 1 to 3. How many of you have seen the VeggieTales version of Esther? Oh, so many of you. I'm, if you have not seen it, I implore you to see it. it is, it's so funny, and it's so good. But anyway, um, so where we find this story of Esther um, is King Xerxes, is, is king of Persia. He, he's the most powerful man in the region. And um, he has just, in, and we start in Esther 1, he's just thrown a big, he's throwing a big party a big party that lasted um, a really long time, uh, much longer than our weekend here. And in, in, the, in the midst of this party, he wants to show off his trophy wife. And so he, he says, go, go get my trophy wife, and we're going to parade her through. And she says, no. And in the Veggie Tale version, I like it better because he asks her to make a sandwich, and she says, no. <laughs> And I, I can relate to her. So, um, and you don't, say, you don't say no to the king. And so um, she gets, again, in the VeggieTale version, she gets taken to the island of perpetual tickling. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what happened to the real queen. But, um, uh, and so King Xerxes begins a search in the land for a new queen. And, and amongst the eligible women, the eligible virgins that come and are, are you know, pampered and, and made even more beautiful by the king's staff is a woman named Esther who is of Jewish descent. Um, we don't know a ton about her, but we know that her, um, she is raised by her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai is a central figure in the book of Esther. We're going to talk about him today. Um, he, was a, a, he was a high up in the king's... Um, Regime. We don't know exactly what position he held, but um, he was part of, of um, the king's people. And so Esther, beautiful Esther, the beautiful green scallion, gets selected to be queen um, of Persia. And um, there, there's one other central person in the story, and that's the king's right-hand man, Haman. 
Haman is a he's a bad guy. Um, he doesn't know um, his identity is not grounded in the Lord, and so he gets very threatened by anything that um, that might seem more powerful. People who might seem more powerful than him. People who are in a position um, who are more confident than him. And so when he encounters Mordecai, he he insists that Mordecai bow to him, and Mordecai says, "I, I only bow to my king and my lord." And um, Haman does not like this. And so Haman, um, he manipulates the king and he tells the king that there's a people group, the Jews, he doesn't tell them who it is, but he says there's a people group that's threatening Persia, that's threatening your throne. And so Haman proposes to the king that he write an edict um, and he'll, he even offers to pay the king a large sum of money to um, authorize the extermination of this people group. And so the king agrees. And he takes his signet ring and he stamps this edict that says that all of the Jews in the land are going to be exterminated. And so that's where we pick up our story in Esther 4. Where um, Mordecai is um, learning of this information, he's learning about the edict, and he's going to talk to um, Queen Esther. <clears throat> so, but before we um, before we read this, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I I just thank you that um, even just this morning, I, I didn't feel like I had time to pray to read your word. <laughs> And yet, I, I've been in that position enough where I, I know that um, it's, it's a game changer to come to my maker and let him remind me how much he cares. So I, I thank you that you have something personal and intimate for every woman in this room, as you did for me this morning earlier, that you met me in your word and you gave me something that I would need 45 minutes later. Uh, that's crazy. Um, so I just pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives in everyone who calls you Lord, that you would um, reveal your sweetness, your power, your peace to us in yet a new way today. Thank you that we can't exhaust um, what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Esther 4, we're going to read um, the whole thing. It's pretty short. Here we go. <clears throat> when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text 
of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. The word of the Lord. What can we take away on our last little hurrah here about how do we live deeper? How do we go home and and still feel God's love and live in this space of joy? Because the mark of a Christian is joy. And some of us have the spiritual gift of complaining a lot. Um, What does this look like? Three things. First of all, I think one of the things we can take away from this is to avoid evading emotions. Avoid evading emotions. It says in Esther 4, 1, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. And if you want to put uh, 4-4 up. Um, When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Often, I think, in life, our our response to um, our emotions is to do what Esther did. (laughs) And she's like, let's fix it. Those of us who are mothers, those of us who are teachers... (laughs) Those of us who are mothers and teachers, you're the worst fixers of all. (laughs) You want to make things better. Our intentions are good. But one of the things I think we learn from this passage and we learn from Mordecai is we need to come to the place where we avoid evading our real emotions. I think oftentimes our response is one of two things. Sometimes we're trying to um, avoid emotions um, because... We want to fix them, but sometimes I think we want to we avoid um, emotions because there's shame and guilt and condemnation, oftentimes associated with real emotions. And I talked to someone last night who's been in chronic physical pain for a really long time. And for those of you who have been in physical pain for any amount of time, it is exhausting. 
I mean, it, it, like you can't even think really when you're burdened with physical pain all the time. But when she was talking about this last um, season where she's been in this pain, she's like, well, I, I've just been whining, I've been complaining. And I'm like, no, we're not gonna call it that. You, you were legitimately suffering. And we can sometimes demonize our real um, emotions and the place that we're really in. Um, and again, we want to remember that emotions, um, they're guides, but, but we don't want to allow them to govern, right? We, like, we don't make our decisions out of our emotions, but we also don't need to demonize them, right? Um, Mordecai understood that in those hard places, it's where the Lord meets us. And we, like, we know that, but sometimes I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm like, I want the pain to stop. I know that most of my life lessons have come in those places of difficulty, um, but sometimes we don't care about that. When I um, was laid up with my broken leg and broken wrist, it was through the holidays, and um, I really couldn't do much because when you can't put weight on your leg and you can put weight sort of on your arm, but not really, um, it's just really, it was just exhausting to walk from my, to, you know, walker from my um, chair to my bedroom. Like, it was just so tiring to do anything, really, because you're, you know, suspending yourself with all this weight. Um, even though some people, you know, go ziplining. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> did not. Um, and I remember in that six weeks of um, avoiding my emotions in that and feeling kind of embarrassed. I had a friend who just lost her husband to COVID. Um, I, I, uh, the Waukesha Parade, for those of you who heard about that, that was going on in that time when I was in bed. And I remember just being like, Laura, you do not suck it up. You don't really have it that bad. Get over it. And I would talk to myself that way. But I would be on the brink of crying. And my sweet son was still living at home. He was commuting to school. And he would come in to bring me something. He'd bring me food. He'd bring me coffee. He brought me COVID. <laughs> 18 months, I didn't have COVID. I'm in bed for six weeks. I get COVID. Because um, my, my son um, shared that with me. Um, but he, he would often come in and he would look at me and he'd go, you know, they know when you're faking it. And he'd be like, what's the matter? I'm like, no, nothing. <laughs> and he'd go, oh, and he'd look at me and I'd just immediately start crying. And I, and I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, it could be worse. And he goes, mom, he goes, sometimes it could be worse is overrated. And in that moment, he just reminded me to quit evading emotions. It's okay to be in that space. Of course, it could always be worse. What a stupid thing to say to ourselves when we're suffering sometimes, right? Sometimes we do need to hear that. But, but I think we need to take this lesson from Mordecai and um, avoid evading emotions. How, how do we do this? How do we, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? And I think there's a couple things that we do. I think that when life is hard, we need to pray through and we need to process those feelings rather than panicking and trying to prevent them. 
We need to pray through and process our actual emotions rather than panicking and trying to prevent them and make them go away. Um, when my daughter <clears throat> left for Purdue, um, you know, I was, again, like, I shouldn't be sad. Like, she's doing great. She was like, see ya. <laughs> and I was like, bye. And then I got home. It was really good until I went into her empty bedroom. And then I lost it for like 12 hours. I could not, it was ridiculous. I could not stop crying. <clears throat> but in those moments, what we don't want to often do, so, it was, so that was in the fall when we dropped her off. But then when we dropped her off after Christmas break, because that's another like torturous time, because you're like with them and it's so fun. And they're like, shoot, they're leaving again. So that time when I got back, um, I, I remember getting on my, um, my little bike because I was doing therapy for my knee and so I got on my little bike and I just was like Lord I hurt what do you got for me like I, I got I gotta sit on this bike for 15 minutes anyway so give me what you got and I was able to pray and process through that and it was so beautiful I don't even know what happened I just know when I got off the bike I felt a million times better so we need to allow, we need to invite God into that. But also, I think one of the things that was helpful for me in that season and one of the things that can help us avoid um, evading emotions is find a non-fixing kind of friend. Find a non-fixing kind of friend. There were people that I talked to that were like, well, you know, it could be worse. Well, at least Chris is there and he can help you. Well, this, that, that. And they, were, they meant well. They were trying to just be kind. But what I needed was my friend Mary, and Mary's just been one of those people who's, she's like, you know, she's one of my people people. She's in the little circle of people. And she just listened to me. And she just listened to me cry, and she didn't try to fix anything. And she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm just me praying for you. And I, I don't know how the Lord's going to use this, but um, I'm just me praying for you. And other people said, I wonder how the Lord's going to use this. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Because there's some people who can say that to you, some people who can't. But that non-fixing kind of friend who you know is just there and thick and thin, those women are gifts. They are treasures. And there's not a lot of them. And you might not even talk to them that often. But we need those kinds of friends that just point us to the Lord and go, I'm going to be praying for you. And, and I know that Mary's going to be praying for me. She's not just saying she's going to pray for me. So have that kind of non-fixing friend. There's a great book called uh, Mudhouse Sabbath. It's by uh, a woman named Lauren Winner. And she was a Jew who converted to Christianity. Um, and in this book, she talks about all of the practices she had as, uh, when she was Jewish uh, that she has kind of taken the, the beautiful parts of and carried them into um, her faith as a, a believer. And this is what she says about um, um, mourning about the Jewish practice of mourning and what that looks like to avoid evading those real emotions. She says, Judaism understands mourning as a discipline, one in which the mourner is not only allowed but expected to be engaged. Rather than asking the mourner to paper over his grief, the Jewish community supports him in mourning. I love that. How else do we live deeper besides avoiding everyday emotions? Because I know some of you are going to ask, the book was Mudhouse Sabbath. It's also a very pretty book, so it's 
very pretty. So anyway, that's, it's a great book. I love, there's, she's got a great chapter in there on fasting. For those of you who haven't um, done the joy of fasting, such a gift. She has a great chapter in there about fasting. So anyway, um, how else do we live deeper? I think besides avoiding emotions, we need to profess God's promises. Um, Esther 4, uh, 13 through 14. 13b through 14a, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Although emotions are, are there for a reason and they're not there to reign our lives, um, what we learn about Mordecai in living deeper is that despite and in the midst of his real pain and in the midst of his mourning and his fear for his people, he professes God's promises. He says, Esther, you, you can do this or not, but, but he knew the Holy Scripture and he knew that there would be a remnant of the Jews that would survive. So he knew one way or the other all of the Jews were not going to be annihilated, because, not because he saw it, but because he trusted the word of God. And he pinpointed God's promises and went, this is what God's word says. And, and we need to pinpoint God's promises when life is hard. Lamentations 3, 19 through 24, um, I memorized years ago because it was just a meaningful piece of scripture that I needed to meditate on, and it has been a gift to me, particularly um, in, in when life is difficult. And Lamentations 3.19 says, um, through 24 says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Do you see how, how Jeremiah is reminding his mind to reposition his emotions? And he's also not evading his real emotions. He says, my soul is downcast within me. But then he pinpoints God's promises, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Lamentations 319 through 24 is, is a gift of a passage to meditate, to memorize, and to, to mouth, to speak, to pray when we're in hard places. Um, how do we do this? We need to get in God's word. We need to get in God's word. It's so obvious, um, and yet everything else seems to get in the way, doesn't it? And if God's word, I had many women come up to me last week. I, I just always have many women come up to me, friends, who are like, I just don't understand the word of God. You can watch a VeggieTale cartoon. You can read a child's book. You can watch The Chosen. Start somewhere, but then don't stop there, then get in God's word. Use that as a way to go, okay, I get it. I get the big picture. Esther's a scallion. <laughs> Haman's a pea. Okay, I get it. 
Now, get into God's word. Nothing replaces God's word. But sometimes we need a big picture and a simpler picture before we can get into the details. So don't just watch Veggie Tales, then get into scripture and read God's word. Um, those of you who are parents, my daughter went through, um, a, scripture is such a gift to parenting. I don't know how parents parent without God's word. Um, my daughter, the one who's at Purdue now, <clears throat> went through a season when she was young where she had crippling anxiety. And again, because, I'm a, because I've suffered my own crippling anxiety, it was so difficult to watch her go through that. I think the only thing worse than anxiety ourselves is watching a child go through it. And I remember watching her and I was just walking on eggshells because she didn't want to go to school and she didn't want us to go on date night and she, did, she needed to be like right with me, but I knew she needed to go to school and I knew that she needed to do these things, but I was walking on eggshells because I didn't know how much to push and how much not to push. And her anxiety ended up becoming my anxiety. And God in his love, when I finally was like, oh, I should pray about this, reminded me, because you know, you fix, you're like, okay, all right, I'm gonna think about this. Now, if that were me, and that's why you're walking on eggshells. <clears throat> and I remember when I finally started to pray about it, God reminded me of um, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, sound mind. And what he reminded me in that moment is that she needed me to be unafraid. Remember, the people around you, your kids, your coworkers, your spouse, <clears throat> I liken it to, I, I'm not a fan of flying, I never have, but I used to be very afraid of flying, especially if there was turbulence. And when I would be on an airplane and there was turbulence, I would look to find the flight attendant and if she was just serving coffee and like, do you want chip? Do you want peanuts or do you want crackers? I was like, okay, we're gonna live. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but if she was getting, if she was like rolling her cart back, getting in the jump seat, I was like, we're gonna die. <clears throat> your kids, your coworkers, your husband, whoever's behind you on the hill of faith, because I think someone should always be ahead of us on the hill of faith, helping us go up that hill closer to God, but also we're bringing people behind us. They're looking at you like you're the flight attendant. And when they're looking at you, they're looking to see, do you have fear in your eyes or do you have peace? And it speaks volumes without you saying anything. And so we need to pinpoint God's word in order to come to that place of peace, power, be in a position to love people. Um, lastly, there's that word, wake up. In closing, <clears throat> how else do we live deeper? We need to oust outcomes, oust outcomes. Um, oh, real quick, one other really cool way, I think, to read scripture, if it's hard for you, you haven't done it, and you don't know where to start. That's the thing women say to me a lot. I don't know where to start. If it is the... <laughs> What day is today? The 18th of the month. Read a psalm, and if you have time, a proverb that's the 18th. So Psalm 18, Proverb 18. If it's the first of the month, read Psalm 1, Proverb 1. The next month, do it again. <laughs> and you'll move on from that, but there's nothing wrong with staying camp, camping in Scripture. Okay? It's not like a competition. I read the Bible in me. Well, good for you. <laughs> It's not a competition. We want to go deeper, not necessarily wider. Okay. How else do we leave, live deeper? How else do outcomes? Um, Esther 4.16. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king. 
even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The most famous, someone walked up to me last week and she goes, look at my shirt. And on her shirt was not this verse. Look, if I perish, I perish. That was not the verse. The verse was, and who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Confetti. (laughs) We want this Hallmark Disney ending, don't we? I do. I love those chick flicks. We, we come to this place in our faith where we want it to be easy. We want it to end beautifully. We want it to be romantic. And we want it in our time frame. And what I think we learn from this passage is that we need to ask the Lord to help us to oust our vision of what the answer to our prayer should look like. And that's so hard Because the things we care most deeply about and the outcomes that we hold most tightly to are for the people that we love the most. And so it's super hard to be like, okay, Lord, whatever you want, your time frame. If my child doesn't come to know you until he's 87, so be it. Who says that? (laughs) Maybe Lisa Cole, I don't know. She's pretty holy. (laughs) Surprised you're still here because I I joked that she was maybe an angel. Okay, so anyway, we we need to oust outcomes. We need, but how do we do this? How do we how do we start to step into, um, you know, getting rid of these romantic, clear cut um, thing? The, The college women that I walk alongside, they struggle with this so much. They're like, I don't, who does God have for me and a husband? And what is it going to look like? And, you know, will he come down on a chariot out of the clouds? Because that's what I think is going to happen, you know. And and it's so stressful for them. And I get it because they love the Lord. They want to be in his, you know, in his will. But, um... But we need to ask the Lord, Lord, help us just oust outcomes. So, so how do we do this? I think um, one of the ways that has really been helpful to me um, is to examine uh, my view of eternity. Examine my view of eternity. So much of scripture only makes sense in light of eternity. Um, and the problem with this is um, we don't, I don't want to think about it, honestly, a lot of times. Um, but what we learn in this passage, remember, Mordecai raised Esther. He was kind of like her father, even though he was her cousin. And his confidence for the Jews' deliverance was based on God's sovereignty and working out um, his purpose and fulfilling his promise. He was like, remember... I don't know what this is going to look like, but I know the Jewish people are not going to be annihilated. But I don't know about you, Esther, but maybe you're here to be a part of this. Right? He, he totally outs outcomes, but he also has a view of eternity where he trusts the Lord in all of this. Um, I was at a funeral recently. Um, for my uh, best friend's aunt had passed away. And so we were at the funeral and I was sitting in the back of the room and the, the priest who was officiating the um, funeral said, Marge is in the arms of Jesus now. And he goes, and I can picture no sweeter place 
than in the arms of Jesus. And I thought in the back of my head, under the waterline of awareness, I can. I, I, I love my bed. <laughs> I love my feather pillow. I love coffee. And I looked around and everyone was going, mm, the holy moo, mm. <laughs> And I'm like, am I the only one who's like, I want, I want, and I felt like, watch out for the lightning strike. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't know, I want there to be no sweeter place than in the arms of Jesus. But in my core, I knew that I struggled with that. And so I just started to ask the Lord about it. It bothered me, it stayed with me. And so I just started to ask the Lord about it and I started to ask him about my, these ADD thoughts I had about, gosh, I, don't, I want that, God, but I don't have it. I don't feel it down in my heart of hearts. Will you help me? What does it look like? And over a lot of time, God showed up in various ways. I remember one morning I was letting our dog out and I was opening the door and holding for him and I did a double take because the sunrise was so amazing. And I was like, that never gets old. You never open the door to let your dog out and go, hmm, saw that before. Same thing yesterday as it was today. It's the sunrise, right? It's like it always takes your breath away. You're like, oh my, especially the older you get. You're like, look at that. And the kids are like, you're old. And I'm like, I don't care. Look at the sun. And, I, and so I, I looked at this, the sunrise and I was like, wow, that, that's beautiful. And then it was the 19th of the month. And the reason I know that was because that morning, right after that, I walked over to my little table where I read my Bible. I had a lot to do, but I, so I was just going to read Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 opens saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And in that moment, I wasn't like, I can't wait to die. <laughs> but in that moment, God expanded my imagination for what beauty heaven is going to be. And I remember another time I was on a walk and I was exercising and enjoying the Lord and I had my headphones in and I was just walking and I was looking at the sky. And I talk about this story in my um, imperfectly perfect devotional, but um, it was such a beautiful way that God started to expand my imagination for what a view of eternity would look like where I could imagine no sweeter place than being in the arms of Jesus. And for whatever reason, I was on my walk and I was looking up the clouds and they were so big and billowy and beautiful that morning. And I was looking at them and I was just enjoying the Lord. I wasn't necessarily praying. I wasn't doing anything particularly holy. And I had this thought, for whatever reason, about my son. And my son had just gone away on his first um, flying trip by himself. And I had gotten to go um, to the airport to pick him up. And I remember sitting outside, I missed him so much. And I remember sitting outside the airport looking and looking. And for whatever reason, there were all these people coming out of the airport, just throngs and throngs of people. And my son is 6'4", and with his hair, he's like 6'8". And so I, I can see him pretty well. And so I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking past all the faces. And I just wanted to see my boy. And then all of a sudden, I saw him. And he's, he was voted best smile in his class. He's just got this smile and these little dimples. And I saw him see me, and he gave me this smile. And my heart just leapt when I saw him. 
And then I kept walking. I don't even know why I thought about that, but I kept walking. And I had been praying about this thing with the funeral. And as I looked up at the clouds, God in his love, I had this thought of Jesus coming out of those clouds. And he looked down on the earth and he was looking. And he was looking. And he was looking for me. And when he saw me, his heart leapt. And he again expanded my imagination for what it would be to be in this sweet place of his arms, not hold on so tightly to my coffee and my shoe addiction. <laughs> Evaluate um, our view of eternity. Start to ask the Lord about it. And if it scares you, tell him that. I don't wanna think about it, Lord. What do you have for me in that? Show me something. He will, but remember, Punchinello, I'm not sure I understand. And the maker's response is, you will, but it will take time. We need to oust our outcomes. We need to keep praying. How do we live deeper? We need to avoid evading emotions. We need to profess God's promises, and we need to oust these romantic, um, idealized non-lined-up-with-scripture outcomes that we often have. And we need to continue, we get to continue to trust the Father's love for us even when we feel like we're failing and faltering in life because it's going to happen. Probably going to happen five minutes after you get home, if we're honest, right? But ultimately, he is faithful. And the more we know and experience that, the more we make those new tracks, the more we're going to get to live in that kind of love and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Let's pray. Father God, we just um, we thank you for an amazing weekend. I, I always feel like these retreats are a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Um, so great. They're so refreshing and, and quenching, and yet it's a lot. And so, Lord, this week, as these precious women um, go out back into their lives, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, recall one promise from your word, recall one, um, one way that they can be reminded of your love for them, one... Um, awareness that they're, that they're not experiencing conviction, they're experiencing condemnation. Just one thing, Lord, from this weekend that will allow them to move closer to being reminded how much you care and being reminded that you don't make mistakes and being reminded that they're special. And so we just, we love you. We thank you for an amazing weekend, God, and um, you are good. Thank you for the reminder of that this weekend. We love you and we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.